Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Greg Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right. Uh, offensively, they yeah. had a very distinct game plan and they executed it so well. Now, yeah. that's crazy because they averaged like three yards a carry. Um, yeah. But what that left them with was a ton of third and four and shorter. And they yeah. were able to convert a high number of those, especially early in the game. And it was pretty clear that that was their plan. And I give Scott Turner a ton of credit for sticking with it. Because it would have been real easy to go. And and I've seen it. Like, you know, Jay, Jay frankly, used to be <laughs> real bad about this. Come into the game, be like, we got to run the football. They'd be averaging three yards a carry. And he'd be like, what are we supposed to do? We're averaging three yards a carry. It's like, keep doing it. Because the whole plan was to keep the other offense off the field. And because your team is not as talented as their team. And sometimes that's how you got to play. And, you know, I'm sure Chris Russell, as we speak, is, is on his radio show, you know, just hooting and hollering about how running the football is the way to do everything uh, and for everyone at forever. Uh, but that, that like it shows the merit of that strategy um, when you are a team that is challenged in, in certain ways, like the commanders are with Heineke at the helm. Um, they took a lot off his plate. They stuck to what they knew was going to be their best plan. And they just kept doing it. And it and ultimately it worked. I mean, well, I wish we could look this up. We don't have access to that, that metric anymore, but based on my notes, I think they only converted like two third downs or three third downs running the football. Um, so I think like, again, like we said, well, this, they, they the technically t- had 12 rushing first downs rushing. Oh, I'm saying on third down is what I meant. So gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 12 rushing first downs on third down. So, so what I, what I mean, why I bring that up is because I've said this before, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but this is really important to understand, is they have a, this is the same game plan they had against Minnesota, the same game plan they had against Indy, the same game plan they had against Green Bay. The thing that that makes this play, this plan successful, is you holding on to the football. So if you look at Green Bay, if you look at Tennessee, if you look at um, the Giants, for example, teams that have to run the ball first, they average four and a half yards a carry when they execute their game plan successfully. They don't average three because that is not enough to kind of get you where you want to go from a consistent conversion standpoint. So when I look at this, right, the reason they were successful is because their conversion rate in the first half was out of this world, right? That allows you to get back to running the football. It allows you to manage it, right? So to me, it's, you know, the first third and two of the game is that completion to Terry off of like the soft play action where he's like running the crossing route to a three-level throw to the right. That ends up being like your 17, 18-yard chunk play. That's excellent, right? That's good process. But now you can get back to running the football. You can get back to doing that stuff. That's the other thing. 
Next play, almost next play, um, Trey Turner misses a block, misses a kickout block. He had a good game, but he misses a kickout block here. It's second and 11. What gets you back on schedule is the completion of Jahan Dotson for the first down. Then it lets you run the ball twice in the uh, in the low red for a touchdown, right? So those plays, to me, are the ones that are the more they, – they are the reason you are effective offensively. They're the reason you ran 51 plays in the first half, right? And if you look at the offense in the second half as a nice juxtaposition, they weren't able to do that. They weren't able to convert on third down. Their, their play efficiency goes way down, right? And that's when Philadelphia starts to cook, right? So this game plan of, of possessing the football, everyone says, oh, it's built around a good running game. This running game was fine. You know, like they, they had some nice runs, some things that looked well, but it was muddy. They were muddy runs, man. When you watch it on film, it's like, you know, it's the backs get hit in the backfield. Somebody's pushing him in the back and he falls forward for two and a half, three yards. Like that's what this was. It's the excellent execution on third down, right? Go to the next series. It's, Third and two, they motion empty. Philly gets a little bit weird on how they're going to cover um, Gibson and Terry to the same side. It leads a little bit away. Terry gets the out route for a first down. That leads to a field goal, that drive, right? There's a third and eight on that drive. Terry gets a slant. You're in third and eight, right? That means you ran the ball for basically no gain two times in a row, right? And so I just look yeah. at that down in and down out, and I'm just like, the reason they won this football game is not because they ran the ball well. They didn't – I mean, they ran the ball – I'd say I give it like a C or C minus, right? Yeah. The reason they were able to be effective offensively is because there's countless third downs, right? The next series, right? They get a one, they get a conversion running the football, which is only one I've on, on my notes that I have, right? Then they get to a third and six. That's where Terry hits. Uh, that's where uh, um, Tyler Taylor hits the big completion to Curtis Samuel, right? There's a third and five. They get a completion to Terry on a chair concept for a big gain, right? Um, chair concept being two unders by the outside receivers and a corner by the um, by the inside guy who was Terry in this case. Then they got a third and ten. They hit a slant to Terry that gets you to the fourth and one. You convert that. Those are the plays right there. It's not it's not the the two yard gain on first down. It's getting to those situations where you can still continue to possess the football and make those conversions. And kudos to Scott. Kudos to Taylor. Kudos to the receivers. Kudos to the offensive line because in those high leverage situations they were able to execute. So in defense of a one yard gain. You know what a yeah. one-yard gain is? Not a five-yard loss. Not a five-yard loss. And, and that is where kind of the magic of this game plan, I think, comes to shine. Is like, you know how you go on 12, 14-play drives? Yeah, you have to convert on third downs and do every single thing that you just said. But it's basically impossible if you're in second and 20, right? It's it, is, it is impossible. If it, but if you look at, if you look at the Indy game, look at the Green Bay game, look at – the Minnesota game, like they were on a similar trajectory, Minnesota specifically, similar trajectory running the football. They didn't have a lot of negative runs in that game, but they couldn't convert on third down. Like they couldn't execute in those situations. Right, they, they, their run pass split was not as heavy against Minnesota as it was today, was it? Like I don't know. Because well, they they're also they weren't as but, good on. So this I would say it's 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 a it's an interesting that's a very interesting point. They're able to run more runs because they're able to. Pl- play more plays right they're able to possess the football longer so against minnesota they weren't as effective on third down their run volume is going to come way back because they're sure. not running as many plays so that to me that's the catalyst for the whole thing right and yet yes yes they were they didn't take a lot of negative plays i think the other thing that, that you have to acknowledge emphatically is there weren't a lot of penalties i think there was one offensive penalty in the first half which was the delay a game on the fourth and one or the fourth yeah fourth and one to curtis yeah. where it gets which, called by back. the way that play is my favorite play every Thanksgiving in, in the Turkey Bowl. Direct snap to, to a motion man. Why don't more teams run that? 
give your guy a head start. I don't know if it was on purpose that they actually did. If it was, though, like that really extra sucks because one, you have a fourth and one that you probably would have got not only converted, like Curtis might have taken that one to the house. Yeah. Um, two, yeah. now you've shown that as a possibility for absolutely no gain because there's the play was dead. So there's your best short yardage plays. But I will say, I will credit Scott a ton because he kept using that motion yeah. later in the game and in some of their key situations and where they got conversion. So I think on a, on a later fourth down, they used that same motion where somewhere in the back of the defense's mind is, oh crap, Samuel might actually take the snap and start running. And that, that extra step that they might stay outside has an impact. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're right. They, they did come back to it on the next fourth and one and uh, they Philly was ready for it. They were like stacked outside and on that play specifically, like great job, Curtis, great, great, great job, Curtis, understanding the situation, not taking a loss, sticking your face on somebody and falling forward for a yard. Like that was yeah. like a powerful, nice run and good situational awareness. And again, those are the types of plays that are huge because that could have easily been a disaster. How many times have you seen a receiver say, oh, I'm trying to go to the house on this fourth and one. They bubble right. back and the defense rallies and tackles them for a loss. Great yeah, job by him. Incredible play. Fig figuring out and being aware of what's going on. So, yeah. But yeah, so I, I think that, that to me is I, I'm, I'm going to do a show. I'm doing a call in with Chris Russell later and I'm ready for this run first, run second, run third approach. But that's really not what made them successful today, I, I would argue. I think, yes, you're, you, you bring up an excellent point. No negative plays, no negative runs for the, for, for the most part. They had a couple, but nothing too dramatic. They were able to overcome kind of, you know, middling run production and, and make some plays. And I think that's yeah. ultimately what it comes down to. His final stats uh, on terms of play selection, uh, 49 runs. Uh, now, I don't know. I'd have to go back and, and say, like, how often did Heineke scramble on called passes, et cetera. But ultimately, 49 rushes to 29 pass attempts. Again, the Minnesota game, it was more even, 30 to 28, 30 rushes to 28 uh, pass attempts. But that's also... You know, Brian Robinson, 13 carries in that game. He's got 26 today. And by the way, I know it's it's some chicken, some egg, but my canary in the coal mine, yeah. are they still undefeated when Curtis Samuel has at least four carries? I think it, they are. It does add a nice element to the offense. I like that he got an outside zone in the game. I like that he got that little kind of shovel pass where he got the personal foul. That would have been a nice game. They're not like huge plays necessarily, but they do open – open you up a little bit that's and that's my thing it's like one he's the best i think he's the best runner on the team so you do get a couple more big ones although they, that wasn't the case tonight uh, i guess the biggest one is that shovel pass which technically is a pass but like it's a it's a way to get him touches yeah. and he's a really special player who needs to get touches and when you don't get him touches like the offense is not going to get the first downs to get the other guys touches or to get him more touches like it, it's pretty simple and by the way on the hey get your good guys the ball strategy when they threw it Taylor, like for me, this is Taylor's number one argument for staying the starting quarterback, which is a conversation we should have, by the way. <laughs> uh, he throws 29 times, 17 completions. 11 of those times were to Terry McLaurin. Eight of the completions were to McLaurin, who had eight for 128 in his long of 41 on the day. And they came in key situations because that's basically the only time they threw it because he's the best bleeping player on the team. Uh, all due respect to John Allen, who's a very close second, um, or maybe maybe Terry's second. Terry's the best. Terry's the best bleeping player on the offense. It sounds less fun. <laughs> that's that's not as good of a promo to to caveat it. But he's definitely the best player on the offense, and getting him the ball is going to help you win football games. And he played a huge, huge role 
in everything that you were talking about, all those third down conversions, like I'd have to go back and look, but how many of his catches were for first downs? A ton, a ton. Yeah. He's the guy that kept the chains moving. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think, you know, and I, I think there is a an argument or a, a world like where you kind of, it's not even a world, it's, 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 it's valid process. Like where you look at, Tennessee, for example, and they'll have a game where Derrick Henry has a stat line very similar to Brian Robinson. You know, he's averaging, you know, three and a half yards a carry and it's a cloud of dust every time. And it's a, you know, nosebleed every time he touches the football. But what that does do is it does give you some space. And when you look at some of these third down conversions, some of the play action passes, like the the first third down conversion of the game, let me check my notes. Don't quote me on that. The one where he kind of catches the over route. Um, that's a really soft play action, but they, you know, all the linebackers are really close to the line of scrimmage. And that's obviously dictated by situation. Scott Turner's in a tight split formation. So that's tend to tend to kind of dictate run there mentally, but there's a huge window there. And so obviously Taylor does a great job getting the ball to him, but the space and the throwing windows are much different than what we saw or what Taylor saw against Minnesota. And that is predicated on the fact that you know, everyone in the stadium thinks you're going to run the football and you've shown that you're going to do that. Right. I mean, what would you say? It was 40. How many runs did they have? 49, 49 runs, which is a lot of runs in a game. And so obviously like that's what you're thinking about leaning towards. And I think, um, you know, like that does open stuff in the play and in, in the, not only in the play action pass game, but also just in the, in the passing game generally. Right. Um, so I think that that is um, something that needs to be talked about in terms of value added. It's not just, three yards in a cloud of dust, and then you got to pass the ball on third down. I think there's also some merit to the idea that it opens up some stuff up. I think I like that Scott, you know, he ran a couple of play action passes. One to Logan Thomas early was was dropped or knocked down or however you want to categorize that. But then obviously there was another one to Logan Thomas where he makes a play. Uh, there's a play action pass to Cam Sims, which probably should be completed. Epps makes a really nice play on the ball. But I like that element of the offense. I like using that as a tool to slow – defense is down obviously it doesn't carry the same vertical element that it did when Carson Wentz is playing quarterback um but I do think it elevates the play caller and I think when you look at what Miami's doing right now in terms of elevating Tua obviously that's like elevating your play caller on steroids because they have the fastest wide receiver success skill position group in the NFL um they have two running backs who run four three they've got receivers that run four two they've got a tight end who runs a four five you know I mean they're just fast as heck but they're elevating him through the use of play action pass and through the use of like RPO, like making easy decisions for him. And so this is maybe Scott's Turner, Scott Turner's version of that for Taylor. And you'd like them maybe to kind of add some, some more flavor to it. Because again, like I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but this is not a sustainable plan in my opinion, moving forward. Like some team's going to come in, like if Jordan Davis is healthy, this game, this game plan, I don't think flies the same way. Right. I think it's going to be messier. It's going to be thicker. He's going to just be taking up space, and there's there's not going to be nowhere you for, for you to go with the football. Um, they need to have something else to it, something else, some wrinkle. But I like that they were thinking play action pass, and I like that they got Curtis some more touches. So, two things that I want to hit on the offense is just going to be a long offensive segment, and then we will give the defense their flowers. Um, but. There was a play action fake that they went back to a couple of times. And this is like very specific, but uh, it is something that I feel like I haven't seen as much of. But they ran the play action fake where it's kind of like a counter action where Taylor shows the ball one way and then brings it back to the other side. And the ball is exposed forever yeah. in a way that the defense kind of has to react to because it's like, oh, this is a run fake. Yeah. And considering how ineffective they've been on play action this year, that action 
got them clean pockets and big plays, I think including the 41-yarder to McLaren, multiple times. And I just was like, hallelujah. They finally yeah. found a play action, something that works for them. And, of course, they run that actual run a couple times too. So when we talked about the marrying of run and pass, one, they finally married some of their run and some of their pass. But also, I think more importantly, it's just a fake that like it's really hard to mess up as a quarterback from a ball handling standpoint, and it is going to get a reaction from the defense by the nature of how long the ball is in that like we're we're running it kind of position yeah. uh, out there exposed. And I, like I don't know why it took them to week ten to figure that one out, but like they've got to continue to to run that a couple times a game. And again, it doesn't have to be every time they run play action. Some play action is quick. Some play action is, is longer developing. Um, it obviously I think also comes a lot of times that particular action and in some of the ways they ran it with some max protect, which has its positives and negatives as well in terms of how many receivers are out in the pattern. But that was something that had a big impact in this game in some key situations. And again, these key situations are the difference in winning and losing. And like, it's a lot of merits to some of the stuff that we've been kind of griping about on the play action game where they just haven't gotten any kind of reaction from defenses uh, for any number of reasons. And to see them get that, I think is, you know, I'm not looking out here to validate the podcast, but like it's validating. And more importantly, it helped them win the football game. Yeah. And I think that's, I'm really glad you brought that play action pass up because actually that's a version of duo, you know, obviously people who covered uh, Bill Callahan know what duo is. That's like his favorite run of all time. They're just yeah. getting it, getting it to getting to it in a way that I think is pretty cool. And what and so one of the things about like when you run like a duo pass protection, right? So for for people that don't know, duo is just like this basic. It's like halfback dive on Madden. Is it's the, halfback is the easiest dive. Easiest way to just describe it. It's a man blocking scheme. Um, there's there's double teams up front. Um, and it's just let's go straight ahead and and you know whichever hole pops open. You know, or it's typically what targeted off the the gap between or the so yeah if, if the, i was gonna if i was gonna install duo if i was gonna install duo i'd say it's the back is taking the a gap towards the side of the tight end so, so the quarterback's gonna open strong the back's gonna run strong and basically what duo is it's an opportunity to get a whole bunch of double teams right so for those of you high school football coaches out there it's power with no puller so on power you pull the backside guard and he kind of kicks out the sam or he like leads up on the sam linebacker with duo, you're accounting for the double teams to do that, right? So duo can be a really messy run because it's literally just everyone just steps forward on the defense and they fit the run correctly. But if you've got guys who are really good at it and you get a back on the edge, you can backs who can read it effectively can run it really nicely. And you need to have a physical kind of mindset to it. So they've added a little bit of a wrinkle. So what they do is basically they bring, I think we all saw it yesterday, but Armani kind of in a short motion from his receiver spot. And then they have him kick out the end man line of scrimmage which is one of the harder blocks on duo. Like, cause usually you have two tight ends over there to the right and they're trying to double that guy. And so what teams have started doing is they just line that guy up outside the double team and just run into the tight ends outside shoulder and cave it all down. So now you've basically put an edge to that and said, Oh, this is where it starts. And then you have the other tight end who's kind of wrapping or kicking and he's going to block the Sam. So on duo, my rule is I have the end and Sam to the mic, depending on line movement. Right? So now they basically said, well, we're going to just have those guys do it, but just do it from different spots. And to, to your point, which you astutely um, pointed out already, is that that gives you a more visual play action stimulus as opposed to a duo play action where you're just basically stepping to a double team. You have to be really violent on that. And it does help protection, but it doesn't uh, pull the linebackers up the same way. It doesn't pull the safeties the other way. When you get that cross-sift action, when you get uh, Logan Thomas leading up, everyone says, 
holy cow, like there's lots of movement in the backfield. I got to fit this really fast. And then it helps the O-line out because they're all in a double team. They're all in a double team except for Charles Leno, who's by himself. And that's okay because he's your best offensive lineman. So right. you live with that, right? But in terms of helping Norwell, helping Trey Turner, that's what you get out of that. And that's excellent. So in terms of shoring up protection, get a definitive downhill look from the linebackers. And it does create space. And I like that they have kind of found this identity. Their best runs against um, – their best runs against uh, Minnesota were duo, but they just mistargeted. They were much more effective targeting that run today, and they were very physical with it, and they got a lot of miles out of it. Um, but it was messy because I think everyone knows that's kind of who they want to be now is a duo downhill running type team. And uh, But I, I agree. I think it gives them a better, a much better play action look, but uh, much better play action protection. It helps the tight ends in protection. And again, one of the things we talked about after the Dallas game was how soft the play action pass looks here when the Titans running full speed across the formation, there's no, the, the, the defensive player says, Oh shoot, I got to fit this. So he's actually running into that guy as opposed to trying to avoid him, which is what you normally get on a duo type of protection. So it's a really, it's a really nice uh, wrinkle, I think, and hopefully it's something they can build around moving forward. All right. Last thing for the offense, who should be the quarterback moving forward? Oh my gosh, Craig. Um, well, is, is Carson going to come back this week or what's going we on? We don't know. Let's let's assume that he is for the sake of this conversation. Uh, we're recording this early on Tuesday, uh, so we have not heard from Ron Rivera on that front yet, right. uh, as far as I know, unless he said something post-game last night that I missed. But, um, you know, Carson, what, let, when Carson comes back, if Taylor were to maintain this level of play, like what are you doing at quarterback? And if you want to involve Howell in this discussion, I think it's probably – you know, the other thing about this, this win is like they're 500 and a half came out of the final playoff spot. So I think yeah. like ha the Howell discussion gets kicked down the road uh, and, it, and it should. Yeah, it should. Um, so I think, I mean, if I'm Taylor Heineke and I make an argument for myself, I just say, hey, what is he? He's four and four and one as a starter. Is that right? Uh, three and one, three and one, three and one. Three and one. And that's pretty hard to argue with. And I think, um, you know, he's right. He's, he's coming in at a good spot, right? They've kind of figured out who they want to be offensively to a certain extent. I think the defense has been playing like significantly better than they were early in the year. Like, I think if this defense is playing against Detroit, that's a totally different ball game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if I'm, if I'm Ron, I want to know with a thousand percent certainty that Carson is not the guy. And I don't know if I know that right now because of the way we were running the offense early in the season and because of how the defense was playing. But it's really it's going to be really hard to to take Heineke out of that position, um, especially given the perceived support I think he has by the locker room. And so that's why this is such a difficult decision. And if I had a gun to my head, season on the line, I'd probably just stick with Taylor. But I understand it if Ron decided to go back to Carson, uh, because I think he needs to figure out what he's got there. And I think he Carson does bring some some value. Um, just depends on what like what the level of that value is um, in Ron's opinion. Yeah, I think you have to stick with Taylor for right now. I don't think that it is definitive that you have to stick with him for the rest of the season. Right. Um, but I do think that it's, it's pretty obvious that the momentum right now says you should stick with it. And I think, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm probably going to be a little bit coy and say, you know, we're on a, we're on a six, six day week, short week. Carson hasn't really thrown yet. And rather than rush him back, we, if he's going to come back and be our starter, we want to give him every opportunity to be successful and it doesn't feel like put thrusting him back in on a short week 
is that week. And I'd almost buy myself another week. Yeah. Um, and if Taylor goes out and beats Houston, then at that point he's four and one. And, and it, you know, it's even more definitive than it is right now. Um, but if Taylor goes out and throws for another, I mean, it's not like he had an amazing game, right? Like he, he threw for 200 and what was it? 211 yards, no touchdowns and an interception. Like it wasn't, it's not like he's out here being a world beater, but there's clearly an, an it factor a something, you know, that he brings. And I think especially when your game plan is this offensive efficiency, you know, Northern, you know, guy, Northern Mike guiding star type of game plan. That's where Carson was brutal earlier in the year. Yeah. So the way you're playing right now is, is even if statistically not, uh, not impressive it is more geared towards what Heineke does well. Um, but that, that's how I would play it. If I was Ron, I would, Start Taylor this week. Feel pretty good about it. Know in the back of my head he's probably my starter moving forward, um, but reserve the right to go back to Carson if, if Taylor is real bad. And I would, you know, in order to kind of keep the, the media narrative at bay, I'd probably be a little bit coy and say, well, you know, all Carson's really done so far is throw lightly. You know, we don't want to send him out there on a short yeah. week. And, and that I would, I would just run it that way. And that's something that we touched on a little bit when we're reviewing the game. But I think uh, Heineke, in, as a starter, in all of the starts that he's won, has done a good job avoiding negative plays. And that's something that was that really characterized Carson's early time with the team in terms of taking sacks, you know, um, not a lot of interceptions, but obviously like taking these huge negatives. And I just think back to yesterday when the ball snapped over Taylor's head for him to pick that ball up. Oh my God, what a play. What a play, right? What a play. Just keeps you out of disaster, right? And that's something where Carson picks that ball up and I think he just gets tackled right there and it's a 30-yard loss. Or he probably just dives on it, which, by the way, might be the Fine. right play. Fine. Um, but, but, like, but, but, but what Taylor's, I'm saying is... That, Taylor's willingness to pick that ball up and throw it out of bounds, like, that saves you 20 yards? Yeah. And I think, like, that's the type of stuff he does. Like, the ball that is completed to Curtis over the middle, which we've talked about a couple times, like, Larson gets beat pretty clean. There's someone right in yeah. his face. And I think that's probably a sack, right? So... If I'm looking at the offensive line situation, I'm looking at the skill position players and like what he's done to elevate that group. I say to myself, you know, like maybe he's giving us our best shot to execute the game plan we want to execute, mm -hmm. to execute this version of like, you know, we're going to get, we're going to bloody our noses. We're going to play this down and dirty. We're gonna, the defense is going to keep us in it, which they've done. Kudos. I mean, like, think about that, man. Like we're talking a lot about the offense. Like this defense yeah, we'll is get just defense in a second for sure. Done a great job, but and he and if if Taylor can eliminate not eliminate because he's always going to throw a pick. It seems like every game yeah. he plays, he's going to throw a pick. But if you can eliminate the huge negatives and let them kind of stay on schedule offensively, you know, like maybe that's your answer. I think maybe I answered the question for myself right there. Yeah, to me, and I'll, I'll talk about this more on the radio show today, and, and obviously throughout the week. To or last night proved both that Taylor should be the starting quarterback for the rest of the season, likely, or at least the next couple of games, mm -hmm. but is not the guy for the future. Right. Like, like he's, he didn't play well enough that you're like, you want to know what? We need to consider this guy as our starter in 2023, but given your options right now, he definitively shows that he can execute this kind of game plan uh, and, and make the, the subtle plays that can help you win a football game with this kind of strategy, this kind of game plan. Uh, and to your point about the sacks, again, the first Philly game was the nine sack game. Uh, Taylor takes just three. One of them is that brutal sack fumble in the beginning where Leno uh, gets beat by, by sweat way out wide. Um, and Taylor kind of doesn't, doesn't have a great feel for it. Um, although I, I think that's obviously more on Leno than it that's is on tough, Taylor. That's a tough, tough deal. That's, that's but a yeah. tough gig. But um, I do think that, that obviously he, he, sh 
should get the start this week against Houston, and I don't think there's any doubt about that.